Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living Podcast in episode number 49. My name is Damian Ross, and besides being the host of this podcast, I'm also a publisher of a digital nomad magazine called Rootless Living. Just a friendly, quick reminder, you can head over to rootlessliving.com and grab your free digital subscription today. In today's episode, I'm talking to Carlos and Suzanne, who I was introduced through a mutual friend because they started talking about how they were going to go full-time in an RV, and our mutual friend said, hey, you should talk to Damien. We went back and forth with some messages about some questions about this lifestyle, and I just said, hey, why don't we get on a call and let me record it, and then I'll put it out as a podcast, and they agreed, and that's this episode today. But like always, before I say too much, let's get into the episode. All right, with that, I want to welcome Carlos and Suzanne to the show. How are you guys? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I'm really excited to have you guys on because normally this is where I get into like where I ask people like you consider yourself full time, part time, but it's kind of cool. You guys are two weeks away from launch. And so and you're launching full time, right? This is the rig will be where you guys will be living and working. hundred percent. That's awesome. I'm so excited. I wish I would have documented some of this back in 2017. I honestly, when I hit the road, I thought it was going to be for like a year. And just to figure out where in Texas I wanted to live. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that I'd be like, nope, I, I love it. I don't want to stop. Let's keep going. So it's going to be a lot of fun, I think, for people maybe are thinking about it and haven't took off yet to hear someone's point of view that's not so far into the lifestyle. I'm really stoked that our friend Brian introduced you and I, Carlos, because, you know, he heard through your guys' friendship that you're going to do this. And I thought what I would do a little different on this podcast episode is kind of do a coaching call. Not that I consider myself any kind of expert, but just where maybe we can uh, just talk about things that maybe you haven't thought of or have thought of and concern and that kind of stuff. But what I want to do though, is just talk about a little bit about your life now and what kind of things you guys had to do to transition to uh, what's going to happen in two weeks. Why don't you take me back to just the, the idea of when this conversation started? Yeah, the conversation I think started about two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's part of what Suzanne and I talk about with life design. And one of the agreements, we started to align on a lot of different things that we wanted just from our life. Um, We just became empty nesters about two months ago. So obviously we knew that time was coming. And so we started to discuss what does that look like for us? Do we want to stay in the big house that we raised our four kids in? Uh, Do we want to stay in Colorado? Do we, what do we want to do with our money? Uh, what kind of life do we want? We work from our home. So do we want to travel? Do we want to stay put? Do we want to travel internationally? I think we went through how many ideas? Uh, a lot. <laughs> I think we started with RV and then went around the world and came back to RV. Yeah. And so you really just came back to fulfilling, to really checking a lot of the boxes of financial independence, uh, reduction of expenses, Uh, the ability to travel and see a lot of things and visit a lot of people. And both of us really crave adventure. So we decided that, uh, like Suzanne said, after a lot of twists and turns, the RV life is for us. And we're going to give it at least a year. And maybe we'll be like you and three years later, still be in it. And I think for me too, that the reduction of material goods, you know, as a kind of a self-proclaimed minimalist, I have found that we have a lot of stuff. And that has been interesting to try to weed down a 3,700 square foot house to an RV. Yeah, that's got to be tough. And it's interesting in this lifestyle, it's not just stuff, it's weight too. You got to start thinking about, you know, it's not like, oh, I can only have a thousand items. You know, hey, if you have a thousand items and each weigh 10 pounds, then nope, (laughs) you got to make some different decisions. It's really a weird 
kind of lifestyle and I'm excited for you guys. But that's interesting that even with, you know, that you guys don't consider yourselves or let's say hoarders going from 3,600 and I'll assume to somewhere around 400 square feet. That's really tough to do. There's still a lot of, there's still a lot of life there, you know, that you just, you add things and bring things in and you don't even realize it. Let's talk about that a little. How long has that process been going on to get rid of stuff? It's been weeks. It really, truly has because I've been so thoughtful and meticulous. And then there's, there's things that I can get rid of stuff, but I can't get rid of photo albums and old videotapes. And, you know, we had kids in the dark ages before cell phones and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. So we have a lot of VHS tapes and eight millimeter tapes and that run the gamut. And I absolutely cannot get rid of those kinds of things. I think the rest of it's been, been fairly Mm -hmm. easy. Um, but it was, with four kids, I, it's remarkable how much of that sort of very sentimental stuff I do have. And it's still going to sit in a Rubbermaid tin or bin until I'm dead. Like I, it's not like I get them out all the time, but I also can't throw them in the trash. (laughs) So no, I, I get the things that, you know, you can't put a price on. Like I've always, when I talk to people and they're like, well, we're going to put this kind of stuff in storage. I'm like, really, there's no one that you can just in a cubby somewhere in their house because to spend money to store, it's a little weird, but to keep that stuff, I think I have like four or five crates of stuff out of my parents' house in 29 Palms of that type of stuff. I too had four, right. I too had four and kids and you know, you just gather a lot of really cool stuff that I think at some point they might want. And you're right though. At some point it might just end up in a trash. It's like a 30 year trash delay. Exactly. I called all the kids and I said, well, I reduced each of your lives down to a Rubbermaid bin. Like each one of you has a bin full of stuff. You're going to have to get it at some point in time. But and actually, that wasn't too bad. And the rest of it, I can put a price on it. Facebook Marketplace has recently been my best friend. <laughs> and I've been putting a price on everything. I think everyone should put their entire life into a Rubbermaid bin Right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, minus going to prison, like, you know what I mean? Like anything besides that, like, I think it's just an interesting kind of concept. And I think you guys are going to get blown away, especially a year from now, the stuff you still bring with you that you're mm-hmm. like, I can't believe it's been a year and we still haven't used this, whatever this is that we thought we needed kind of a thing. For sure. I, I think, I think you're right. How has been the, just looking at the budget, are you guys really excited about that? Is it scary? Uh, I mean, obviously that's a pretty big home. Colorado is not, you know, I mean, there are areas that are very affordable, but some of it's, you know, very expensive as well too. How's the budgeting looking for you guys? Does it look scary? Does it look hopeful? Does it look great? Where are you guys at with it? I am beyond excited (laughs) (laughs) Um, to to be able to drop our mortgage. And we've, we've worked hard over the years to really put ourselves in a good position. So it wasn't like we woke up one day and was like, Hey, this would be a cost saving measure. Let's go do that. Um, so I'm, I, I mean, we have done the, I've literally gone line item by line item on a spreadsheet and looked at, you know, not just the mortgage, but things like homeowners, which of course you've got to put an insurance policy on uh, the RV. We sold a couple of cars. We bought the truck we're going to pull it for in cash. So for us, the advantage is when we close on this house in two weeks, actually in a week and move out in two weeks, we will be hundred percent debt free. Nice. And so we are literally going to be paying for, we're going to stay in Colorado for a time. So two of our children come home for the holidays, but we are literally paying for our groceries and the spot at the RV and the electrical and some internet service. Other than that, everything else is discretionary. So I'm, 
I am beyond excited at that prospect of lowering our expense burden. I know you, are you guys both still working, one working, not working? What's going to be the situation? Yeah, we both work. We own our own company. And so we both are, we're business partners in that. So the ability to work from anywhere also is a huge benefit. And so, yeah, the, the business still is going. I've informed my clients that really no disruption. Uh, so you're, you're still going to get the same me. You just may get me in a different time zone from now and, now and again. So you've already let your clients know ahead of time that this was going to happen? Yeah. And I think part of it um, is I've, I've worked remote for 15 years and I don't, as long as they, I mean, I've, I've traveled internationally and still, you know, for a week or, or 10 days and still been able to deliver for my clients. So I don't really, I've not received anybody who says, Ooh, we got to reevaluate the relationship. It's, it's incumbent upon us to make sure we have the right connectivity, the right devices, uh, the right internet to be able to do our business. And whether I'm in California, Colorado, or New Jersey, I don't think anybody cares. Yeah. You know, it's funny that I did have someone early on in the podcast. She was a tax consultant and she had some clients that left. They were never face to face, but it was just the idea of this, like, you know, gypsy lifestyle that they just <laughs> couldn't get their head around. And I think I remember I've talked to some other people that have said they held off telling anyone for about six months. So at least when they told them and they said, oh, I don't know if we really want to do that. Well, guess what? We've been doing it for six months and you didn't notice. And it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting, you know, how different people have different approaches. So, and I, I agree with you that your clients are actually going to really love it. And when I was doing sales and still doing sales, it's fun when people are like, where are you now? And they start to, like you, I start my emails like, Hey, you know, good afternoon from Elkhart, Indiana, or good afternoon from, you know, on the sand in Texas, you know, and it just, it gets mm -hmm. a good conversation going. So people really do enjoy it. So get ready to use those as kind of fun touch points with your clients as well too. Absolutely. I've already had a few who have called and said, you know, where, where are you trucking to? I'm like, slow down. We still got a few weeks to go. <laughs> but uh, no, I think for the most part, everybody's been very receptive. And I think the biggest thing we've heard is we're jealous. We want to do the same thing. So the question is, why aren't you? Right. No, we, I've heard that quite a bit. And it's funny that one, I think people think it's just, oh, it's impossible to, that's what they'll say. And I've seen a lot of people, especially in and around COVID where their, their jobs have changed to remote and maybe their kids are homeschooling that the obstacles they thought they had are now gone. And now they have that opportunity. And I think they were hiding behind the fear of, well, you know, I couldn't take the kids out of school or, well, I would never be able to work remote. And now they have that. And it's like, okay, now what do we do? We can't use those excuses. We could actually go if we wanted to. Right. Take yeah, it, it is a big change for sure. Oh, I bet. I mean, honestly, one of the things I think will be eye opening for you guys, especially with four kids. And I come from a background of four kids is and I get that they're older and they're out of the home. But there's just going to be something in the first year where you have like a massive amount of time that you're like, why do we have so much time? And it's because you just don't realize that even when the kids are gone, there's all these just weird commitments within your neighborhood, with friends, with it's just weird that all of a sudden you have, you know, you're not commuting really anymore. You just find these things. You're like, I can't believe how much time we just not, I don't waste. It might be a harsh word but just driving the kids to and from school and driving them to doing this and then meeting with friends for this and going to this birthday party. We really don't want to go to, and we don't really know the cousin's <laughs> kid or whatever it is. It's just weird yeah. that that stuff goes away. Right. We were actually just talking about that the other day because um, I'm the introverted one in the relationship. And so I, 
don't, you know, it, it is amazing how you can busy yourself just being in a house and how much there is to do to maintain a home and to not have that anymore. And just making sure like, okay, so what am I going to do? I do work. I've worked from home for several years now, but I'm going to need other things to do like other volunteer things or maybe get some, I don't know, do some, I don't know. I haven't quite figured it out. I just know that it's going to be different than what I'm doing now. I just don't really know the ways in which it's going to be different yet. Right. No, it's definitely, there's a lot of that stuff, the unknowns that just, you know, you can't really prepare for. So there's, there's no homework you can do. And it is, you know, based on type of personality, there'll just be different things you find to do. Now, have you guys had any RV experience in the past? Well, we have with friends. Uh, <laughs> we've our next door neighbors who are our best friends here in Colorado. Uh, we spent a lot of weekends with them and nights in their RV. And then when we bought ours, we took a uh, trip to literally 20 miles up the road with them. So we kind of had a joke that, hey, you know, we're, we're going out with mom and dad, except we have our own place now. Um, and so that was, that's been our experience, but <laughs> it's been enough to know that we're okay with it. We love being together. And even in this house that we have, we kind of joke that we live in about 700 square feet of it, which consists of our main living area, kitchen, bedroom, and office. So we're, uh, and here's the thing, if we hate it, we can go find a place to live, but I really don't think that's going to be an issue. Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to put on like a crystal ball, but I think what you'll experience is there will be times where you'll have this, like, I just miss kind of the, the consistency of a home, but I guarantee Mm -hmm. your idea of the size of a home is going to completely change. I mean, I think if you would ask me even five years ago, you know, what size home I wanted, I wanted that four or 5,000 square foot home. I really am on that. Like if it's over 600 square feet, it's going to be too big. And I want a hundred square foot of it to be the shower. Like that. (laughs) (laughs) I just want a 10 by 10 shower for once in my lifetime. And and that's what will be really, I mean, you're just going to go through all this. You're going to go through this. And I think people listening will understand this. You're going to go to this high low of wanting to own a campground. Trust me, that's going to come up. Oh, that's funny. You know, (laughs) places where you start thinking like, well, we could build a little something and then have a, an RV pad and we could be wheels up, which is still really cool too. So it'll ebb and flow as you're on the trip, but you're right. I mean, honestly, it sounds like you guys would have downsized anyways. And so now you have this opportunity to adventure until you decide to downsize. If you decide to downsize and buy something else, you know, who knows? I mean, that's the great thing about it. it. It's not like you're making a decision that you'll be so upside down that if you decided you didn't like it, you're screwed. And I think if you just give yourself the one year timeline, no matter what, push through it, you'll, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll find a really cool, like just whatever happy medium that ends up being for you guys. Take me through the process of what did you guys end up buying? Well, we ended up buying a grand design reflection. Uh, it's 35 feet. It's the, for those of you who are really into it, the NKS model. Um, and actually we were in our friend's RV in uh, Buena Vista, Colorado. And Suzanne showed me her phone and said, what do you think about this? And I had no idea what she was looking at. I said, whose house is that? And it was in uh, Sanger, Texas, which is just north of Fort Worth. And the couple that owned it had literally ordered it and had it towed down the street all of 10 miles to their permanent uh, campsite. And then they got a new job and couldn't take it with us, with them. So they redesigned the whole interior, they painted, they upgraded. And I was, I couldn't believe it was an RV. I couldn't believe it was a fifth wheel the way it looked. So we 
negotiated, we connected, we talked. And the next week, my uh, best buddy and next door neighbor, we drove down Friday night, picked it up Saturday and pulled into our driveway on Saturday night. Nice. And it's uh, how long was it? Just under 35 feet, 34 feet, 11 inches. So that'll be, that won't test your marriage that bad. So you guys should be good. It's really, <laughs> I, I tell people, man, if you really have any concerns about your marriage that over 40 foot, forget it. You don't want to, you don't want to play around with that. Yeah. We, we had originally looked at one. It was 41. Yeah. And then we were realizing when we, we took a three week road trip together this year and we stopped at a lot of campsites to check them out. Cause it, you know, it was an area where we would definitely camp at some point. And we were finding that that size was, you know, it's not very accommodating when it comes to getting in into campsites. So that made us go down several feet. So, so I'm glad we took the time to research and, and figure out what we wanted and what was best before we just jumped into something. Yeah. I feel like I wouldn't mind having 35 feet. I'm 42 right now, but I just don't know where I would cut the seven feet from because I really do. I live in a, a rolling condo, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm just, I look at it sometimes and I'm thinking there's maybe about three feet. I could get rid of and still have the interior that I really like and utilize all the space. But 35 is a good sweet spot. I mean, I know a lot of people talk about, you know, it's really good if you want to get in the national and state parks and stuff. I haven't really had an issue in 42 and and the issues that I've had at 42, I would have had at 35 and you guys will get ready for this. Will you roll into a, you know, like a first come first serve state park and all the large sites are being taken by people with tents or, mm. you know, the tents <laughs> on top of their car type sites and you with your 35 foot fifth wheel, you have nowhere to go. All the little, there's dozens of small spots and it's just weird that these parks don't have a, you know, this is for 35 and over unless the other spots are full, you know, then it would make sense. But there's times where we've gone in, we've driven around. There's not, there's tons of open spots, just none open big enough for me. And the ones that are open are just way too small and I have to leave. And the people that have been there, they could have been in those smaller spots and, been totally fine and happy, but it is what it is. That's the only bummer side to, that I've ran into that I would have, it would have been an issue at 35 feet too. Yeah. That's, that's good to know. You just yeah. saved me a lot of frustration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, Didn't know that was yeah. Like one of my tips, we did one in Montana where we pulled through and it was a, it was a pretty decent sized pull through. And I started to notice that things seemed to be a little full. So mm-hmm. we pulled into that pull through because obviously I didn't have to back in. And then we walked the rest of it. And literally, if I would have driven around and said, nope, there's nothing and gone back, there was a class A that would have taken my spot. Wow. And so it's like those kind of moments, too, that sometimes, you know, you'll start learning, okay, as we get here, here's the first good one, especially if there isn't someone there to check you in and tell you what spots are available and something like that. But it sure. is, yeah, it is something you definitely, you'll get used to like, hey, we're just going to, we're just going to block right here for a quick work. We're just going to run around, jump on a bike or something, and you know, just scoot through and see if there's anything better, then we'll make the, the move. Okay. So do you guys have any kind of like, uh, before I get into your guys' Q and a, do you guys have any like goals in the sense of, you know, in this year, we'd like to do every state park. We want to do all 48 States. So we want to, is anything like that? Or is it still pretty free roll right now? Yeah, I think cause we've got a, some, a big family events that we're going to have to be around for. So, you know, we've got, uh, our third child graduates from college down in Nashville. So, and we've got a, our oldest, kid and his wife live in Tennessee as well. So we've, I think that's our next stop after Colorado is we'll mosey on down to Tennessee. And uh, there's a lot down there. I've already figured out that it's hard to get into a lot of these places. A lot of them I called are already full. 
And so that's that for me, that's been one of the biggest challenges that we're seeing is is places just not having spots available. But yeah, I think we'll be in that area until early May when she graduates. And then after that, we've we'll do the eastern seaboard like eastern seaboard and then up to the adirondack mountains where we've got dear dear friends that are pretty much family so we'll spend probably six to eight weeks there there, and then we'd love to get up to maine and new england and then if we keep going we'll go back across and uh, take in for so next fall the pacific northwest and have you guys done anything in regards to you know, like a thousand trails. Are you guys looking at like that kind of stuff for campground? Or are you looking more just privately owned or state parks? Initially privately owned and state parks, but I literally was just researching thousand trails again last night, the night before, something like that. Very recently. One of our questions. Yeah. <laughs> that was on my list. Well, let's there's do it. so many options out there. There's so many different opinions. Um, and, but it, it seems like that would be a very good option. I just don't, you know, we, I keep being told by friends and strangers, oh, I know somebody who's full-time RVing, but I don't know any of these people. I don't know anybody who lives in their RV full-time. I don't know anybody who has thousand trails or even has gone on long RV trips. This is a world where I know nobody who is doing what we're doing. So I have no, no one to talk to about it. So I rely on um, Google and a lot of these RV websites. And there's a lot of people that do blog about their stuff and write articles and all that. So that's really what I've been dependent on. Gotcha. Well, let's get into your guys' questions. I think this will be fun. So uh, if you want to start with the the thousand trails one or whatever, feel free. Let's rock it. Yeah, I think that, you know, the best, really, there's so many like RV clubs. (laughs) Read this. Well, this one's great. And this one. So we're just curious. Like, So we know Good Sam. We joined that. Uh, we were told Family Motor Coach Association. Yeah, thing. Passport America. So, but in your experience, what are the best ones? What what are the what is the value or is there value there? Yeah. So for me, we have been Thousand Trails members pretty much the entire time. And excuse me that I don't I don't have their plans memorized, but we basically have the one where you can do two options. You can do four nights and then you can go to another Thousand Trails and do four nights and then go to another one and four nights or you can do two weeks at one, but then you have to take a week off system and then you can come back and do another two weeks. And that's what we've pretty much done. And so we would go to a thousand trails. We would stay two weeks. And then in that off week that we can't be, you know, on property at another thousand trails, we would do state parks, boondockers, welcome harvest hosts, um, stay with friends, boondocking itself, like legitimate boondocking. And that's worked really well. And it's, it's really helped with the cost for sure, because you're paying a flat annual fee and you know, now that at least you have, I don't know if the math is right. It's like, like 36 of the 52 weeks. If you do do two weeks on one week off and that takes up a big portion of, and so far, you know, I've enjoyed thousand trails. I've heard the horror stories. Um, I've seen Facebook groups where people get really upset. But I've also Mm -hmm. learned in and around this lifestyle, like anything else, oh my gosh, look at this one star review. And I go to read the details and it's like the dog park sucked. And I'm like, I don't have a dog. So I don't (laughs) care about that. Like, that's not even a real issue because like, that's not, it's not every campground has to have a dog park. Relax on that. Or, you know, the kids swings were broken. Okay. I'm not, well, maybe I wouldn't mind having some swings. Those are fun, but it doesn't, it's not a deal breaker for me. So that's the funny thing. So thousand trails, I give it uh, a thumbs up. They're not an advertiser in the magazine or the podcast or anything that we do. I've just been a user of it. And I've actually 
really enjoyed it. I've had some amazing stays when we were kind of locked down during COVID. We were eight feet from the water um, Mm -hmm. at a lake in Texas. And, you know, they allowed us to stay during the entire lockdown. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, they really, and you know, there was a flip side to that. If you're outside of the system, there wasn't as a positive as experience. Nobody knew how to really navigate what was going on. So I give them a little slack, but I also was inside. So I wasn't, you know, locked out of it. And it's pretty easy to find them. And I feel like we always find it's very rare that we contact one that says, nope, sorry, we're full during that time. They can be crowded. They can also be where sometimes they tell you where to go. And that's always funny because they'll put you like next to someone. And then then you walk around the next day and you see all these open spots and you're like, why didn't we get to just go to one of the open areas? Why did we have to be close to a neighbor? These aren't like, you'll notice this. The campgrounds feel like these are like, like stations at, at a restaurant you know how you kind of put everyone close together because it's one waiter that's not what's going yeah. on at a campground not everyone has to be close together you know it's weird but um i would give thousands trail a thousand trails of thumb up from me if you okay know. yeah it's it's actually really good but i will say that it's the boondockers welcome the harvest hosts and the actual boondocking that has been kind of a lifesaver because there are times where you are at a thousand trails, especially if it's in and around, you know, real camping season or a crowded weekend, it can get crowded for sure. Like all campgrounds can. And it's nice to be on a property where you're the only person or you're out in the middle of nowhere and allows you to kind of decompress. So this like two weeks on one week off, two weeks on has been really great. And okay. Yeah. I just started following Binducker's welcome on Instagram and they post amazing pictures. So, and I've heard, I've definitely, I've heard of Harvest Host as well. I don't know anybody who's stayed at one, but um, they're one that pops up a lot as well as being very popular. Um, okay. So with that being said, do you have solar panels? So I didn't up until two weeks ago or a month ago. Okay. Yeah. I just recently outfitted with... Um, a big solar system. And we left Elkhart, Indiana and spent about two and a half, almost three weeks on a farm in Indiana and didn't plug in the entire time, ran our ACs, didn't have to set up the generator. And uh, it was amazing. I had to come back to Elkhart for some business and also a repair that I need done on the furnace because believe it or not, when we were camping, it dropped to under like 32 and the furnace just wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. So I came back into town to fix it. But, um, Let me say this about solar, because this is one where people, when you look at like really setting up a solar system that can run, let's say like you're on 30 amp. So, um, and again, I don't know if you guys have experienced this yet, but when you're on 30 amp, you can't always run your AC and your microwave at the same time. You kind of have to, you know, choose one or the other. You could pop a breaker on 30 amp. You can't run both ACs in your unit at the same time, unless they have like low starts and things of that nature. So it wasn't that. I really wanted it to run an AC. And when I left in 2017, I remember talking about them. They were like, no, you can't run an AC on solar. So it's really changed, obviously, just in the last three years. But for me, the frustrating thing was is to have television on, I would have to run a generator to like just even extend my chair. I'd have to have a generator on to power any outlet. I'd have to have a generator on. And I went through that. I knew nothing. My salesperson at my dealer really made me feel like, you know, if you just plug a hundred watt panel right here, you know, you'll be able to recharge your batteries and you'll have power in the rig. And that's not true. I mean, yes, you'll be able to recharge your batteries that operate your lights and your slides and your levels, but that's really all you get. You don't get any like real shore power inside. And so that was a bummer not knowing it. 
knowing what I know now, I think back then it would have been really nice just to have enough power to at least at, you know, if I had to run the generator during the day, so be it. But at night to be able to turn off the generator and have enough battery power to run the television, charge my phone while I slept, have the coffee maker up and running in the morning, that would have been a really great way to go. Mm. It is overwhelming. <laughs> what, um, so Damien, what should be the, I mean, like Suzanne said, right? There's so much information out there and you don't know, you know, as newbies, what should be the three to five things we should focus on in terms of maintenance and upkeep and maybe even things we haven't even thought of that you experienced? Yeah, I think it really has to do with kind of ground up is where you start. So the really the most important thing are tires. 100% is, you know, you can't you can't skimp on them. You've got to make sure you're getting the best. You've got to check them every once in a while. Obviously, you got to check all your lug nuts. You got to look at your springs. Um, you know, leaf springs are something that does go out in these fifth wheels. And, you know, if you have a mechanical background or not, they're not that hard to replace. It actually takes more time than to find a leaf spring than it does to actually replace it. But it's just, if you look at those things on the regular, if you're just checking out, you know, the air pressure is good, tire treads, good looking inside and out, checking out the springs, checking out the axles. One thing I'll say is your axle has a, like a barcode on it. I would right now go and take a picture of that. And that way, Mm -hmm. if you ever have an issue with your axles or your leaf springs and you're on the phone, you're not then you know, trying to crawl under to let them know that it's a, you know, 7K and this is how many springs I have and this is how many eyelets it is and how long it is. If you have all that information ahead of time, same thing with your tires, really knowing, you know, exactly what type of tire you have. I think the wheels are kind of the most important thing and really learning kind of wheel maintenance. And there's tons of great YouTube videos on there. I think uh, Mark Leach with Keep Your Daydream has done a great job in and around tires. So, I mean, that information is out there to be found. I think that's really important. The other thing is the the go slow. I think a lot of people just don't understand that in everything, you know, if you can set your cruise at 65, you'll get way better gas mileage. I know if there's some people at the 75 and 80 range will get a little upset with you, but so be it. Um, it's also, you, you just don't put that kind of wear and tear and stress again on the tires, but going slow just has to do with everything in regards to when you're backing in, when you're, you're moving, it's not, you're, you're not trying to do any kind of speed contests and yes, you'll show up at a campground. And there'll be some people that'll rotate their chairs so they can watch you back in. And again, if if it's an Austin Powers moment, which happens even three years later, there'll be times where I just, there's something weird. Like I'm just, I'm off in my churning and it's just not going back into the spot the right way. And I have to pull in and out a few times. And there's times where it's like I was blindfolded and it just went back. No problem. So you just have to forget and put all that stuff out of your mind. Um, I think getting into a rhythm of understanding like how many miles you can really do when you're pulling the rig, um, really making sure you understand your height within your rig as soon as it's on getting to a flat area and really putting a broomstick on the top of the AC unit and dropping a tape measure. So, you know, your actual height when it's on your rig. I think those things, having that posted somewhere, you know, in the truck itself where it has its height, it has its length, it has its width. So you're just not like, wait, are we 13.4? Are we 13.2? Remember you said it was 13, you know, you just, you know it. Right. You know, um, obviously there's tons of really cool travel apps um, to help you guys understand your routing. And even with those, there will be times where, you know, you'll come across a bridge that 
you know, that's, uh, you know, we're 13, six, I've ran into some 13 nines and you start going through, well, have they counted, you know, when it's been re-asphalted and all that kind of stuff. Right. <laughs> and that happens. I've had to back up on a highway in New York, probably a good 200 yards. Um, and if the sign was just on the other side of the street, I could have turned right or left. It was just that I'd already passed all my turning options. And then there's a sign that says 13, four and I'm 13, six. So there's, I can't risk obviously that in any way. And then the mm-hmm. other thing that I like as advice, and this is just something that happened with Nikki and I, is that when someone thinks something's wrong, something's wrong. And there's nothing wrong with pulling over and checking. And I had a leaf spring break and the truck was fishtailing a little and I could see it in my rearview mirror and she couldn't in hers. It, it seemed still straight to her and hers. And we kind of not argued, but we kind of went back and forth with, I think it's fishtailing. And, you know, no, it's not. And so we just made a rule that, once one of us says there's something wrong or has a gut feeling, you just pull over, whether the other person agrees or doesn't agree. And I think that rule really comes in handy because there's no harm in it. There's no harm in pulling over and just looking around and, you know, wait, did I leave that part unlocked or locked or did I remember to lock the shower door? Whatever it is, just pull over and stop and just do it. I think that's the biggest kind of thing. Um, I, the gas mileage thing, I think is important because it is kind of nice to be able to go from campground to campground without having to refill fuel. Um, so like for me, it's right around 250 miles. If I can go from campground to campground, I don't have to refuel while on the road, you know, and deal with the truck stop and all that kind of stuff. And so that's nice if I can figure that out. And if I do, then that's not a big deal too. I try to get within that 50 mile range. So I'm doing it at least, you know, maybe one fill up, not two. And that's really kind of the the starter stuff. Cause you are right. There is a ton and it can be really overwhelming and it, it really isn't. If you think back to your first apartment or your first home or your first kid, you know, those things where it's the thinking of all the things made it more crazy than the actual having of the kid or the new apartment or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And this lifestyle is no different that way. It really isn't. And I will say that RVers, RVers in real life are amazing. I'm not a big fan of them on Facebook groups and things of that. Well, actually, I think in just over across the board in humanity, I'm not a big fan of people on, you know, social <laughs> right? media that's fair. but really, that. yeah. yeah, like when I bought the grand design, um, we bought in April, we weren't leaving till June and I went into an owner's group and I just was like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Like the walls are going to fall off when I'm driving based to listening to people. And that's just because people go there to tell their their worst experience or they even do something wrong and they blame it kind of on the manufacturer. And and I went into it knowing that I'm asking a rig that's not made to live in full time. That's not what these are designed for. And I'm, you know, it's a seven point something earthquake every day. This thing's going through. So I understand that's why warranties are really important. And then just looking at stuff, but it's also just having the right attitude about it. But to get back to kind of the, the people, the people at the parks, if you can't meet someone, I just pop a tire off of something. Or, you know, get out a ladder. People will come over and talk to you and want to help. And it's just, there's that community sense. And, you know, people are always going to want to talk and and meet you if you're outside. Um, I, my big rule is if someone's RV door is shut and it's not an emergency, don't knock on the door. I'll give you kind of a, there's really, the, the times that that's happened, it's always been kind of weird. Like the truck's not here. Nikki's taking the truck and someone will come knock on the door. And then, you know, they're surprised I'm here. And I'm like, well, why'd you knock? If you're surprised I'm here, are you doing some sort of recon? <laughs> yeah. Um, but if someone's door is open and there's a problem and yeah, definitely we'll go over if you just want to talk to them, go over. But I always feel like that's a little different. Obviously when you live in a bricks and sticks, the door is almost always closed. 
And I think that's something a little different than RV life that when the doors close, it's kind of like, Hey, wait till we come outside or that we have the door open and you can, you know, like talk to us through the screen or get our attention. Uh, that could be a personal preference, but I feel like that's kind of a, it's kind of a thing also. It's good to know a little, little RV etiquette. I like it. Yeah. And I think the big thing too, when you're at a campground and you're pulling in a lot of times they have like, here's where you take the rig to check in. Sometimes they don't. The one I'm at right now doesn't. So it takes a little looking around. Those things can be stressful because you just don't know where to go kind of a thing. And you'll have those moments Um, kind of reading some of the park maps can be really weird too. And trying to figure it out. And again, you just, you go slow and you guys ask each other questions and you just have to make a rule. You can't, you can't argue or fight in anything to do with directions. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's one of those things that you just, you can't ever do because you add that to trying to pull this monster that we're not licensed to pull, but we just basically, they trust us. So we know what we're doing that. It's just, <laughs> it's just good to like, just take a moment and breathe through it and just, you know, kind of figure it out. Cause they can be frustrating. They're never to scale. You'll miss a churn someone to tell you to pull into a pull through. And now, you know, the way they told you to go, your power's on the wrong side, just stuff like that. It happens. And you mm. just, have, you just have to take your time and figure it out. Yeah. We did our first solo backup, uh, <laughs> I think two weeks ago. And what we reported back to our friend was we did it and we stayed married and we didn't even argue. So we, we feel like that was a win. Yeah. So back, in, back at the, back in that thing up is a beast. It is. And I think, and I don't know what you guys do. Well, let me actually, how do you guys communicate to each other where the rig needs to go? I'd like to hear, and then I'll tell you kind of what we do. What do you guys do to communicate? You have a spotter. Um, is it, Carlos, are you driving or is it? Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm driving. And what was interesting is the way we did it, I think is going to change based mm-hmm. on how we're going to do it based on what Suzanne read. So go ahead. And well, talk. and the guy at the campground did it that way. Like I, when at the first campground we ever went to the gentleman that helped him back into the spot, he was just brilliant. I wanted to pack him up and take him everywhere we went, but he stood at his side mirror and just gave him directions. And so that was like a way I would want to try to just stand there. So then if I want it to go right, I tell him to turn right rather than standing behind the thing and having to give the opposite sort of direction. So we're still working it out. I had suggested maybe I drive and he stand in the back and I don't think that's going to fly. He didn't feel like he'd be real good at that. I'm willing to give it a go though. So do you have any tips on that? Yeah. So a couple of things. One is driver side back ends are going to be the easiest. So the more of those that you can do, but really in the beginning, the more pull throughs you can do, I would do those in the beginning. Anytime you are, you know, driving and let's say you're getting fuel and you see like this huge open parking lot that you can get into, like go in there and like, just have some fun kind of practicing when no one's around. Um, but driver side back end. So where you've pulled past the spot and it's basically on the driver's side. So now you can really look out your window as the driver mm-hmm. and see what you're doing allows you to kind of start understanding it. And I, the two tips, I don't think people pull forward enough before they start backing in. So you're gonna have to start learning that, but that's really where the spotter comes in is starting to understand how far the wheels on the rig have to kind of go past the spot before we start the back end process. And you'll start to get an idea. Maybe it's eight feet, maybe it's 10 feet, maybe it's 15 feet. You'll get a good idea of what that looks like. You want to be as close to the side that you're backing in. So if you have a one way, like little 
maybe it's a 12 foot road. You want to be as close to the side where the campsite. So if you're pulling in as a driver, you almost want to swoop in, which is really good. I feel like the spotter is really there to make sure you don't hit anything. That's like the most important thing. And what Nikki and I learned maybe like a year into it is she started telling me where the butt of the rig needs to go because left and right over there, even a, even a hand when I'm looking in the rearview mirror, I'm like, wait, am I seeing it backwards? <laughs> like you just, even three years. So when you're on like a phone and you're saying I, the butt needs to go more towards the driver, the butt needs to go more towards the passenger. I can understand that. And I think the other thing to learn is that these things are like cruise ships in a way. It's not, and I've had this happen with people that I've stayed at their property where they're like, well, can you just move it over three inches? And I'm like, yes, but I have to leave your property and then back all the way back in. That's how this thing works. It's not, you know, where I can like hop skitch it over. It's the same thing here that if once you start to make the churn and you've overshot it, it, it it's really going to be hard to overcorrect it. Sometimes it's just better to go back out and start over. Like, and, and it's hard because you're like, I don't want to start over. I just want to be able to back in once. Um, so I always look for pull throughs when I can. It does make it a lot easier. And if I'm backing in, I just look for driver side back ins because a passenger side back in, you are blind for a good period of time. You can't really see anything. And I think that's where the spotters really coming into play is when you've had to pull past the campgrounds on the passenger side door. And now I'm backing in, you know, where basically the passenger side is what's coming in kind of first into the spot. And I think you guys just find your kind of sweet zone, but I think the idea of telling someone where the rig needs to go and, and reverse to the butt of it, I think is really where we found kind of our sweet spot by being able to say, Hey, the butt needs to go a little bit more towards the driver side or the passenger side. It makes it a little easier. Well, our, the first campsite we're going to, it's passenger side back in. So I guess we're going to do baptism by fire. <laughs> they did say, they, did say they, they said, would help us. I told them it was our first time and that they were so sweet and definitely said they would be available to help. And I was like, we will take that help. And you do in the beginning. And, but here's the thing though, is that once you get in a rhythm, you'll, let's say you do a, a harvest host or boon is welcome. And the hosts are like, Hey, let me help you. I'm telling you, it's actually worse sometimes once you guys have figured out your rhythm. I feel like in the times where a stranger has tried to help us, it really throws us off our rhythm because they have it. And I had a guy that was telling me that you can keep backing up. You can keep backing up. I'm like, are you sure my levels aren't going to hit that? He's just looking at the tires and I'm like, he's like, oh, oh, you're right. That might hit. And I'm like, see, that's, you know what I mean? Like, cause he's not thinking about that. I've got to look at that too. And he's just looking at tires or he's looking at my bumper, you know, and he just doesn't know. And as much as I love the host, a lot of them have never backed up a 40 foot fifth wheel. They've helped other people, but they've never done it. Um, And that's another thing too. If you're ever at a campground, that's really empty. If you, if you're just really wanting to get, you know, more practice in is that when you leave there, just pick another spot and back in real quick. You don't have to set up or anything, but just get another quick little back in kind of experience. Yeah. Especially when they're empty and there's not a lot of people around. And uh, it's just one of those things that does take time. But I will tell you too, you know, we did a, almost three months stay because of COVID. And when I got back out there, it was like learning it all over again. It's not like riding a bike where all of a sudden it's like, Oh yeah, this is it. It's one of those things you just have to be doing every once in a while. And you guys will figure it out. And it's a lot of fun and nothing again, it just becomes where it takes a couple times. It's not like you'll ever, I don't think you'll ever get to a spot where like, Hey, we're not going to be able to do it. I've done spots that there's just, it was not humanly possible, but because we got a couple other spotters, we were able to do it. But I've been in spots where I'm like, there's no way a 40 foot goes here. And we've been um, able to do it. Do you have a backup camera? I do not. 
Okay. I do not. Yeah. Like, and that's the other thing too, that I will say as advice is, um, everyone thinks they need to buy everything before they leave. And, you know, Amazon and Walmart and Target and little mom and pops, you know, you can find everything as you need it. And I think that's one of the misconceptions is, you know, like I have 20 foot of sewer hose or right now I think I have 30 cause it was probably two years later that I finally found a spot that was too long or that I needed a lot of more hose to be able to reach the sewer. And so I just ran to a, a Walmart and grabbed an extra 10 feet and no big deal, but I'm just glad I didn't buy the, the 30 feet and drag it around for the year. The same thing with extension cords. And, you know, I mean, I would have 30 amp dog bones and, you know, being able to go from 50 amp, to 30 amp, all the way to 15 amp. I think those are really important to have. Uh, I think a surge protector is really important to have. And then another thing too, I just want to leave you guys with, cause I don't know if it's a concern. I feel really safe and I, I get that I'm coming from Los Angeles. And I'm coming from, I always make jokes when people are like, where are you from Los Angeles? Oh, we live in Simi Valley. I'm like, that's not Los Angeles. Stop it. I'm like a nine double O. Your zip code has to be nine double O to really be in LA. And I locked everything in the beginning. I protected everything. And I've noticed that, yes, things might go missing from time to time. But normally it's probably someone that really needed it a lot more than I needed it. But locking everything up when you're on a campground, it's really not necessary. Like you're going to be blown away by that. It's not, things do go missing. Don't get me wrong. I've heard people, you know, share their stories where a bike goes missing or something like that. But ultimately uh, I've I had anything go missing and I had stuff that I wanted to go missing and no one would take it. So <laughs> I, I had to give it away. So that's one really cool thing about the lifestyle, but what, that might be your neighborhood and you're used to it. But I used to lock like the fifth wheel hitch in the truck is it had pins where you could take it and go. I used to lock it. I did that for a long time and thought, this is ridiculous. No one's going to steal this. And if they steal it, they need it more than I do. And I'll go right. buy a new one kind of a thing. That's good to know. I think I was more guilty of that on our first you trip. You were. Out. I was like, relax. It's all good. <laughs> we're sitting right here. <laughs> we're right here. This was very helpful. Yeah, I think, you know, like a generator when you're boondocking or something is good to lock up for sure. If you have an expensive bike that you really cherish, I think that's important. But the thing that we always talk about is I, there's probably someone in the campground that has keys that can open your rig, first of all. Second is locks are just to keep the honest honest. If someone really wants in your rig and if a manufacturer is listening, if you guys could put a pin code on the levels or a pin code on the slides, that'd be really helpful because it takes a lot of time and energy to manually bring in slides or manually bring in levels. And if there was a little four digit code, then we'd all feel a lot better about where we leave our rig because the effort that it would take to bring in slides and lift up levels to be able to attach it to a truck and actually take it would be near impossible or the timing. Right. I had to bring in one leg one time and it took almost two and a half hours to manually do it. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's not. It's not, that, it's not that fun when those things go bad in areas that aren't go bad. Oh, that's something else I'll talk about really quick to repair. Um, I would say to use a mobile tech if you ever need repair. And the, one of the big reasons I think a fifth wheel is a great purchase and is because if there is ever something wrong with your rig that you don't lose your vehicle and you don't have to take it in to get engine work and things like that done. And most campgrounds will allow a mobile tech to come in. Now your Grand design warranty and your extended warranty covers mobile techs doing work. It just doesn't cover the fee to have the mobile tech come to you, which that's, I mean, that can be a hundred to 150 bucks. But what I also notice about mobile techs is they want to get stuff done fast. And if you take it to a dealer or a repair shop, 
drop it off Monday. They'll say, hey, you can come back on Friday and pick it up. It'll be done. These things are built in like six hours. So I don't know what takes five days to repair. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I you could build an entire thing from scratch to done in six hours. But yet when you repair it, it takes a week. Mobile text is the way to go because they, okay. will, they will they'll come out. They'll survey everything. They'll, they'll let you know. They'll talk to the warranty company. You know, I, depending on the warranty you have, there could be no deductible, some deductible. But mostly they don't cover the tech coming to you, but it's so much better just to be in your home, to be at a campground than it is to trying to figure out how to get it to a dealer somewhere and drop it off. Trust me. It's, you know, unless, you know, you're back in Elkhart, Indiana and you can go to Grand Design, that would be the one I'd really recommend. If you ever get to do that, yeah. do that for sure. And they have a nice campground there and they take the rig during the day and they bring it back for you, you know, to sleep in at night kind of a thing. That's a great way if you need to get stuff done. But mobile tech is fantastic. That is very good to know. Taking a lot of notes. <laughs> Any other questions? I feel like that was kind of easy. No, actually, you know, the ones we had listed out were, were maintenance. So you, you covered that. The RV club, solar, uh, the features, and then you touched on the backing it up. So now I don't, the fact that you're still three years in and saying, Hey, it's not a, it's not a like riding a bike. That makes me feel a lot better. And honestly, <laughs> I'm for me, I'm like, okay, if somebody wants to sit there and watch me do this for a half an hour, if that's what entertains you, that's great. I'm, I'm good. Happy with to provide yeah. the entertainment. Exactly. Sure. So, yeah. but, uh, you know, and also too, you're going to get a rhythm where you do certain things and Suzanne does other things. And I would stick yeah. to that rhythm because there was a time where I literally, when I did take my rig in the grand design, I came here solo and brought everything in and loaded it up and drove it over there. And I was having little panic attacks because I had to do things I normally didn't do. And I was trying to remember if I remember all those things. I think it's very important that you both know from soup to nuts, how to, you know, put it on and get it and go. I think that's really important. I, you know, Suzanne, I don't know if you're driving it or pulling it, but it's good that you learn and know how to do that in case you ever have to. They actually say some of the books I've read and people I've talked to that up to 13 should know how to do that. You know, that if you're out, if you're listening right now and you're camping with kids and your oldest is 13, you know, you should maybe be able to make sure that your kid at 13 knows how to get everyone in the car and drive to some sort of safety if need be. And same thing with the rig. It's just good that everyone kind of knows everything, but you'll get into a rhythm. And just don't do the other person's job. You know, if, mm. if Suzanne's job is to lift and lower the rig to when then you're backing in and it hooks up, then she always does that. I feel like when you get into those rhythms and everyone knows their job, you're not talking to each other. You just, you get through it. Um, you know, don't let other people talk to you when you're setting up or, you know, especially setting up when you're backing in and stuff. People want to say hi sometimes. Just be like, hey, let me uh, back in and then we'll, we'll hang out in a minute. It's really odd that other RVers don't know that, that just let people back in, get set up, and then you come over kind of a thing. So, but I think the rhythm thing is going to be really important. You guys will figure it out, but you'll know that, you know, and then the other thing too is in the beginning, you can check with each other. Did you lock the shower door? Did you lock the shower door? But a year later, <laughs> it's just, just trust that they've locked the shower door. Yeah, we, we started to perform and, and Suzanne started to make a checklist of all the things that needed to be done, the sequence of it, which which I found very helpful rather than trying, like you said, you know, we're not a year in. So um, following those steps and, and you know, the, honestly, the Grand Design Hunter's Manual was great. I, I winterized the thing myself for the two weeks we've got it in storage and I feel pretty good about that. So 
it's um, it's been fun learning. No, yeah, so fun, funny thing, Damien, on our first trip out. So I had, you know, he brought this thing back from Texas. I'm a little bit of a clean freak. So I cleaned the inside of this thing like nobody's business. And apparently what I thought was off in the shower was not. And so we hooked everything up. He hooked the water up. Thank God he went in the camper right after that because the shower was on and the sprayer was pointing out. And so we were already like flooding our bathroom within five minutes of hooking up. Was it like hooked up to water or was it just using the fresh tank and the pump? No, we had hooked it up. We had pulled into the campsite, hooked it up to water and then turned it on. And I went in and I heard this running water and I was like, this is interesting. And sure enough, it was the shower head. Yeah, somehow didn't turn on or turn off. Yeah, I think the the sequence of things are really important too. I, I feel like for me, getting sewer and power hooked up before the slides start to come out just because of where my sewer kind of connection is, is really important. Water can be the last of the three kind of hookups. But yes, it's really important to, you know, make sure all that stuff's off. Make sure the pump's off if you are going, you know, like driving you have fresh water. Because if for some reason something fell or moved, there's no way for water to go, even if, you know, a nozzle got turned on, if the pump's off. Um, right. I think one of the things that I like about solar now is that I can have my fridge running while I'm driving and I'm not using propane, which, you know, again, it depends on who you ask. I'll say for the, the sake of the show, it's a lot smarter not to run propane when you're driving. Um, right. But it's really nice to also show up and not have your food go bad because you spent five hours driving. So that's one thing I like about solar is I'm running the fridge through electricity as opposed to propane now, which is really nice. So those are the kind of things you can, you know, work through and think about. That's where one people, I don't think they think about solar when they think about the driving of it and knowing that your fridge is on, but you're not using propane. I think too, what's interesting is just a little tip is if I'm staying somewhere for like two or three days, I don't actually connect my sewer. And, and I, I just haven't done that that much anymore because the effort to take all the sewer stuff out, hook it up and then put all the, my little crate back in, I could do it all when I'm leaving, just like I was going to a dump station. There's really no difference. And especially two or three days, I'm not going to fill up my gray tanks or my black tank anyways. And so anytime I do a two or three day stay somewhere, I'll wait until the day I'm leaving. Then I'll pull out my sewer stuff. I put my gloves on and I keep my gloves on in the whole process, just like I went to a dump station somewhere in the park. And I feel like that saves me a little time. And it's, it's nice to be able to get to a campground, not have to do this deal with the sewer. I'm just dealing with electricity and water. Um, it has been really nice with solar pulling into places and all I'm dealing with is water. And so, oh, yeah, that's been, you know, and, and even if I have water, I don't have to deal with anything. We just pull in and you know, if I need to, then I can go ahead and, and hook up the power or then hook up water. Yeah. The, the uh, emptying uh, as you're leaving, that's what we did that one weekend we were out rather than hook everything up. We just went with the electric and the power. And to your point, I didn't really see the need to hook up the sewer long-term. We were only there for two nights. So to just do it on our way out was, was a time saver. Yeah. And also too, you'll come into campgrounds that might not have sewer. A lot of them have power and water. And they'll have ones that have all, you know, full hookups, but you'll find out really quick that some of the ones that are just power and sewer, sorry, power and water have some of the nicest spots. And if it's like, you guys will start to figure out the rhythm. Cause I'll tell you right now, your sensors in your stuff are all going to go bad. You'll never know if your black tanks are full or your gray tanks, (laughs) those sensors are done. You'll start to figure out how long we can go. And then you'll really be able to figure out how we can stretch it out. If we need to, you'll figure out your own kind of like system for that. But 
there's plenty of parks where if you don't need sewer for the four, five, even 10 days you're there, um, you get a much better, you know, spot, even sometimes a cheaper spot. And then you just hit the dump station when you're leaving. And, you know, you'll start to figure that out too. So if they're all full hookups, fine. But you might want to ask, wait, do you have any that are not full hookups? And then they'd be like, oh yeah, we got these ones down by the beach that are just water and electricity. You're like, oh, okay. And they might just say they're just electricity. You have to fill up with fresh first and that's fine too. You know, so you'll start figuring out those kind of things for yourselves. And we're looking forward to it. It's uh, like I said, it's going to be a heck of an adventure. Yeah. And I know we've connected and you guys can always reach out to me. Uh, the rootless living community is actually pretty cool too. If you ever use the hashtag, you can find people to talk to. Um, I keep a good eye on the Facebook group that if anyone's really getting nasty, it's a one and done. I'm all for freedom and speech, but I'm not the government. So I can, I can block (laughs) you really quick and not let you say those kind of things. And you're going to have highs and lows. I usually do that at the end of the show, but you guys haven't gone out to really experience the highs or lows yet. Just know that it's no different than any other life. I, when I ask people they're low, it usually has something to do with a toilet or a roof or a window. And that's the same in bricks and sticks. If I was asking someone about their house. And so it's not a big deal. And you'll find really cool people in the community that you can reach out to. And really, you know, look, I'm six foot seven, almost, I don't know, 300 pounds. Got half my body's tattooed. I got this giant beard. I'm what they would probably say is a man's man. And I'll still ask people for directions, help where I need to go. So nobody has any excuse. And if you're ever in a campground and you just don't know something, just find someone that has a rig similar to yours and then just go ask them. And they would love to help you. I love helping people. I have no issue if someone really needs, you know, has a real question and wants help. I'll go out there and do it and help them. Not a problem. Absolutely. Yeah. I think those, I think those ego days are behind me. So I'm, I'm quite all right with asking and saying, I have zero clue. I'm a newbie. And we have found even in the short time we've done this, that the RV community is, is very welcoming, very helpful. Um, I find that with a lot of people who enjoy the outdoors and and minimalism, very rarely do you run into somebody who doesn't want to kind of help you, help you and and understand where they went, went to, uh, you know, or where, or where they started. So I'm, and I throw you into that as well. Yeah. I think what you will run into is that people don't know you're doing it full time. And I know for me in the beginning, it wasn't an ego thing. I was just, I, I saw the way people looked at me when I pulled into a state park with my 42 foot fifth wheel with my 50 inch plasma for the weekend. And I was like, I wanted to tell them I'm not here for the weekend. This is all I own. I live in it full time. I don't need this just for the weekend. And, and again, if you're listening to this and you have a 40 foot fifth wheel and you only use it on the weekends, I have no judgment towards you. Do your thing. But it was weird that I felt that way where I had to like go out and explain it. I wanted to put some sticker on the back. This is my home. It's not, I'm not camping. And, um, you know, I think people get that and they understand that. And I think you guys, it depends on where you're, you're coming from. For me, I had to get rid of my California plates fast as I could. Um, that's the thing. Colorado, I think you'll be fine. You can keep your plates. Yeah, so far so good. Actually, because we bought it in Texas, it's got a Texas plate on it. The truck, of course, that's Colorado. But um, no, it's been fun sharing the story and kind of where we, as people have come to pick stuff up and we tell them, you know, we're downsizing to an RV. It's like, oh my word, that's so exciting. It really is. And it's going to teach you a lot. I think, you know, for me, I keep playing with the idea of you know, how do I say this where it's not offensive? The American dream was a scam. Like it's just a scam. And when you get out there and I I think you guys, and I'll speak for you because I have it, you'll have a little bit of regrets. Like, why didn't we figure out a way to do this at least for a year with the kids? You're going to go through Mm -hmm. that. I guarantee it. For sure. Yeah. And then there's the idea of like, I can't believe all the money we wasted on things. 
And it's going to be amazing too. I mean, I know you guys are running to your kids, but obviously down the road, there'll be times where you'll find a place you set up and they've got cabins and you'll be like, well, you know what, next year we just need to fly all the kids out and they can rent the cabins and we can have our RV and we'll just stay here at the lake. You'll find spots like that. And even though I will say that the, maybe the quantity of time will go down, the quality is just going to skyrocket. And I just, it's one of those things that I keep trying to figure out, like how I'm going to pinpoint to talk about this, that, you know, the idea of the, the 4,000 square foot home, the three car garage, all the time you spent doing yard work. I had to help a guy mow his five acre property and I loved it, but it had been three years since I'd done yard work. So I was all for it. I was like, <laughs> I'll sit on the mower for a couple hours and drive around. Okay. But if I had to do that every other weekend, oh, I'd, I don't know what I'd be doing. So, but yeah, I, it's funny because this morning we were looking out and we live in a subdivision, but we have a pretty big yard for the place we are. And, and Suzanne asked me, she said, you know, are you going to miss your yard? Because 10 years ago when we bought the house, you really wanted a big yard. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I will, but I can relate to three years from now sitting on a tractor. Sure. But every other weekend, no, I'm not going to miss it. Yeah. The things, you know, the funny thing I miss is watering. Like I miss watering the grass is just a quiet, relaxing time. It's one of those things that you do miss and you know, you'll find those things, but um, ultimately too, I'll tell you right now, any campground, if you really got to the point where you needed to get your green thumb out there, you could go to the campground office and be like, Hey, is there anything you guys need help with? They'll put you to work <laughs> for sure. You know, if you really Love need it. to do it. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. All right. Hey, something I did forget, forget about talking about is there's an app, uh, it's called nomad near me. Okay. And I don't it, think I have that one. <laughs> yeah, it just started. It's brought on by the Less Junk More Journey, Nathan Marissa. And what I really like about it, it's a uh like a find my friend kind of app. But what they've done that's really different is one, only accept people that you actually like, trust, and know. But it's a radius. So it just lets you know that like when I'm within 20 miles of you, you couldn't use it to say, you know, let me get directions to Damien. Um, but it's just really cool because, you know, my story with that is I, Nathan and Marissa are on the cover of my magazine. I'm at a campground. I finally download his app. The app says that he's within 20 miles of me. And I'm like, I message him like, Nathan, something wrong with your map. He accepts my friend request, which now lets me get, I think like with under five miles, maybe even a mile now that we're friends. And I was like, oh shoot. That's crazy, dude. It says like it, he was in the same campground as me. Unbelievable. And I I mailed him the magazine and now I could walk it down. He was eight spots over and we just never would have known unless I just would have seen him walking his kid, but maybe not. You know what I mean? You just don't know. And that's what's really cool. Um, as you meet people that you really like, um, you can connect with them if they're on there. I'm on there and it, it'll show you that I'm in Elkhart. It's really easy to toggle on and off and it's, you know, it auto does it. And again, it's a radius. So it's not like someone, I mean, maybe yeah. possibly if someone wanted to figure out, oh, he's an Elkhart. There's only seven campgrounds and they, you know, want to look at my Instagram. You could find me through Instagram faster <laughs> than you could on this app. But if someone wants to put that much effort into it, then fine. They yeah. can find me. Come get shot. <laughs> no, just kidding. Right? No, if you need to do it, come Okay, so you're from Simi Valley? No, no. I'm from like LA. Like my liquor store and grocery store burnt down. In the oh, okay. So you are actually from LA. I'm from, I grew up in Valencia, north. So, so I'm just over the hill from Simi. So I went to say Simi. 
I grew up uh, five minutes from Magic Mountain. There you go. Yeah, you were way out there. Yeah, my parents uh, sh- yeah. shipped me to, uh, they did a full Fresh Prince in school and they sent me to Granada Hills to finish my senior year. Oh, wow. Yeah, they full on did that. I was like, this is funny. This show, Fresh Prince, is my life, but they, it's a white kid being sent to a like, white neighborhood. Yeah, it's so funny. I went to an all, I was the first white kid to go to LA High since like the 50s. And it was oh, my, my word. It's my neighborhood. It's good thing you're six, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. It, it, those times where it's really, it hasn't come in handy that much outside of basketball, except for those kind of moments. Um, I don't think the rig will ever make it back to California uh, unless the Tahoe side of California, but sure. I mean, there are some, there are some really cool spots, but it's just, it's really expensive. I think it's funny. We did a, we did a trip, we left and we did Arizona and Utah, I think for three weeks. And then I had to be back in California for VidSum or VidCon for like four days. And the four days we were in back in California <laughs> cost as much as like the 14 day first little round trip. And I was like, Crazy. this is ridiculous. But I think so far uh-huh. in 2020, I think we've spent $200 on campgrounds in 2020. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. That's amazing. So solar is definitely worth it if that's the. Well, I remember I didn't get solar until. A oh, month, that's true. A thousand month ago. Yeah. Between thousand, thousand trails. trails. You pay the fee. Yep. And then you don't pay campgrounds. Right? right. And then don't add on until you go into those zones. So, you know, like for me, it's, it's Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma. I think it's like the main one. And then you can add ones on. But it's like AAA. Most people don't know with AAA, you don't actually have to become a member until you need them. You can call them and say, hey, right. I have a flat tire. They'll sign you up. And now you have a year to change tires. You don't need to have it all the time. And it's the same right. thing with Thousand Trails. Like just buy the one area that you're going to be in. And then if you decide, we probably should have used it when we went up into New England. There were some ones that was there, but I'm telling you, Boondockers Welcome and Harvest Hoves. Um, Boondockers Welcome. I, it's been, it's, I went back to a property here in Indiana. We had solar. The owners weren't even home. And he's like, you oh, just wow. come be on my property. You know where the water is. When we were leaving, he was showing me where the pump is to turn it on. If we came back while they're gone in Florida, if we decided to come back at some point, how to like get access to the garage and turn the pump on. That stuff happens all the time. Like where people are like, hey, if we're not, I've checked in the people's homes and they're not there. I've stayed on property. They're not there. It's the weirdest thing for me. I don't, I have family that wouldn't let me stay on their property when they're not there. So to have these strangers, <laughs> it'll do it. It's just like, wow, this is nuts. But it's it, especially in and around times where you're, let's say you're not like a heavy, heavy schedule. It, I've always felt boondockers welcome. The internet's been really good too. I've never really had a, a bad issue. Remember I'm uploading a video every day. I have this project where I'm shooting a video and uploading a video every day. I've never had really an issue. I really haven't, you know, um, I keep most of my zoom calls audio and you know, if you have AT&T and Verizon, you'd be good, but I can't, I mean, for whatever boondocker is now, if it's 70 or 90 bucks a year, I don't even know. And harvest host 70 or 90 a year. Yeah. It looks like it's only, well, like fifth one year subscription, $50. Yeah. Yeah. Grand design has something too with harvest host too. You might want to go to the grand design owners group. I think there's some deal. I don't know if it's expired or whatever. I mean, I know if you buy a harvest host and use rootless living, you'll save 15%. But again, Boondockers welcome and Harvest House, they're there until you need them. So it's really like where you're like, hey, we're going to drive 500 miles. It'd be nice to find a place to stay. Let's sign up now. Like there's no reason to sign yeah. up until you use it. But I just think it's such a great break from the campgrounds because the campgrounds do get crowded. Like I think state parks are amazing Sunday through Thursday. Like I, right. I love them. That's good to know. That's yeah. really good to know. But I think it'd be fun. You know, I don't, you guys don't need to commit to it, but. I do want to do these where I bring people back on. I think it would be really fun, you know, six months, a year after you've been out there and you don't really consider yourself a newbie 
to have you guys back on and let's talk about, you know, what have been the highs and lows and what have been the experiences. And I think it'd be fun to have you guys back on and, you know, Hopefully the marriage is doing great because of the backups you've got it down, you know, and uh, we'll hear where, how many states you've been to and, and what you guys have done and what's been your favorite and all that kind of stuff and how the rig's holding up and all that kind of stuff. We, we would love to do that. Absolutely. It would be a blast. Well, I really appreciate getting to talk to you guys and hang out and hopefully, you know, if you guys do that, uh, nomad near me and if we're ever in the same area, let me know. I mean, we'll definitely, we're going to put on some rootless events in 2021 once, you know, everything's really clear and I don't look like awesome. a jerk by trying to bring people together, then we'll definitely do something. But I'm here too. If you guys ever have questions, feel free to DM me or send me an email uh, and I'll try to point Thank you in the right you. direction. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, hey, right, thanks, thanks so much. Man. When this uh, launches, let us know. We'll put it on our social media and promote it. I will for sure. Probably sometime uh, late November, I think is where I'm at in the queue right now. So you guys will be on the road by then, which will be really wow. fun too for you guys to hear it and be able to talk about it. Absolutely. Cool. Hey, thanks so much. All right. Take care. Well, another fun episode and a big thank you to Carlos and Suzanne for coming on the show and giving us an insider's look at what the start of their journey is looking like. And I really do hope I can bring them back in a year from now or so and just do like a follow-up episode of what it's been like over their first year. And again, another friendly reminder, if you're enjoying the Rootless Living podcast or the magazine, do me a favor, please share it on your favorite social media channel with your friends and family. It's a great way of getting the word out and I really appreciate it. And like always, if you think you might know someone that would make a great guest for the show, or that guest might even be you, send us an email at podcast at rootlessliving.com. Again, that's podcast at rootlessliving.com. And let's see if we can help tell your story. Until next week, stay rootless.